This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, and welcome back to a weird Monday night edition of the Full Ride on the Chase Homes podcast. But you know what? The Full Ride is still here. It doesn't matter the day. It's holiday week. It's Christmas week somehow. Like I, someone said, Christmas is Friday a couple days ago. And I was like, you're wrong. It's not on Friday. And then I looked at the calendar and I was like, oh, Christmas is on Friday. I am ill prepared for yet another holiday. Matt Green, down there in Tequila, Georgia, are you with me in being absolutely perplexed and flabbergasted that it is somehow December twenty fifth on Friday? Yeah, man, it's been a uh, it's been a weird, crazy year, but uh, here we are, almost at the finish line. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. I don't know about you. I'm not like I'm not a, a Scrooge or anything, mm. but. I don't I just I don't get big into the Christmas, the decorating and you know, the gifts and everything. I'm all about spending time with the family, you know, y'all get together, spend time with the with the family, but um I don't know. I just it's like I don't I don't wanna just like drop a bunch of money I don't have just because it's the season for it, you know. I just I don't know. I don't wanna be I don't wanna be a Scrooge, but I feel like I'm always I'm always torn every year. It's like I feel nice when people have the Christmas lights, they look good. Mm. But uh, I just don't personally ever do it myself. Did you uh, Did you go to the Lake Lanier Light Show this year? You're, I know you're by there. No, I did not. I, I missed that. <laughs> I love how dismissive you are. You are just anti. You went on this whole diatribe about not uh, not being a Scrooge, but you sound Scrooge's to me. I feel like of all the years, I feel like, do they even do that? Like, Oh, they, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a safe one you can do. You can drive with your windows up and just go and stay in your car and drive through it. It's true. I mean, I, we went to the uh, botanical gardens a couple okay. years ago, you know, in Atlanta, and oh, I'll never pay. Nuts. There's this one thing in like Canton near where her parents' house, uh, some park that they like just design a course where they like do Christmas lights and and stuff. It mm. was like twenty bucks or something, and I was like, after I did it, I was like, that was like the worst twenty dollars I've ever spent in my entire <laughs> life. That was so not worth it. Just to go out five miles an hour, they're like, yeah, you can go as many times as you want. Probably because they're like, <laughs> what we robbed you already. So yeah, check out the lights as much as much as you want. I can't believe you paid the first time. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, no, we, uh, me and uh, my lady friend, we missed, um, we missed the light show. We 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 tried um two weekends ago to to see them and they closed at nine like who does a light show that closes at nine o'clock not early yeah that's that's terrible that is that's way too early the night event i mean granted it does get dark at like six but no you stay definitely a night event on the weekend like 10 or 11 like that's a night thing it's strictly a night thing i for sure i i cannot believe that that was like a three-hour endeavor um don't forget, folks, you can listen to Matt and I on the full ride on this very feed Sunday, usually, and Thursday. Um, a few more weeks of that. Um, the schedule will probably change in the coming weeks because uh, we are in bowl season. So we'll see. We'll, we'll plan it out. We'll talk off air about how we're going to plan that out and the off season and what some ideas I have. And uh, I'm sure Matt has it. We'll, we'll toss around. But um yeah, don't forget you can check out chasethomaspodcast.com. Subscribe to the newsletter where I wrote last night that you can find on sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Follow Matt at Matt underscore W underscore green. Follow myself at Chase double underscore Thomas. Um, and leave us a five-star rating and a review it, review review on uh, Apple Podcasts if you have not already 
done so, it would be great. It is the holiday season. It is the least you can do. And Matt would love it. Not, you know what? Matt wouldn't even love it the most. You know who would love it the most? Zeus. Zeus would love it the most, who we still have not seen on social media in the last month because Matt has uh, neglected not only the, the holiday spirit, he's not only pushed that to the side, he's pushed aside posing a, a nice little social media post for Zeus. He is, he's just Mr. Scrooge over here, Matt Green. Yeah, you know, I'm about to get Zeus back up there. He was uh he was battling a little meniscus uh injury, <laughs> but uh you know, I think now now that he's back, he'll be feeling more up to it. Okay. How about tonight? We we gotta get him back in there. We gotta get you can you can do something about the playoff. You can do Zeus doesn't believe in Notre Dame. Zeus is uh out on the twenty point spread for a, a supposed playoff. Um we'll get to all of that. But um yeah, where are we uh where are we at pick wise after this weekend? Because I I didn't realize how big of a disparity we could actually be in terms of against the spread and actually just straight pick them. But uh, this weekend, disparities galore. Am I correct? Yeah, man. I have. Uh, I wasn't sure was this possible to have that big of a disparity with your overall picks and the uh, spread picks this week. But we both did it. We were both terrible against the uh, against the spread this week and. This was the last week of the season, so these are the final standings. Um, so you went one in seven against the spread this week. So not great. And I went two and six, which is <laughs> not good at all. But overall, we were pretty solid. You went six and two, and I went seven and one. So that brings us on the season total by one game. You won uh, against the spread 60, 60, and one mm. to my 59, 61, and one. But overall, I got you pretty handedly, eighty to forty-one, and you were seventy-one and fifty. So uh, it, was, it was an excellent season, both of us. You know, it was a good of a last win to, to hit five hundred against the spread. It was a it was a good good season. It was a good reminder. Gambling, you always end up back at zero somehow. The whole season, the whole season, right? you end up at five hundred. It turns out Vegas might know what they're doing, folks. Um, let's get into some news. There's a there's a lot of news that we need to discuss, Matt Green, and it's a combination of news and just certain things going on. And um, there's just the the information is free flowing. A lot is happening at the moment. Um, I think we should start with the the final college football playoff spots because that was obviously the main topic of discourse today. Um, Notre Dame gets in at the number four spot. No surprise there. They will face Alabama, who I mentioned is a three touchdown favorite for a college football supposed playoff game, supposed playoff game. Um, and then we get Clemson versus Ohio state at two, three. Um, a lot has been made about the group of fives just getting left out and Oklahoma shooting up and, just where Texas A&M should have fit, where Cincinnati should have fit, where Coastal should have fit. Um, we had UCF tweeting out great uh, videos, uh, the the NWO forming with uh, Coastal and Cincinnati, which I very much enjoyed. Um, the it, it was very interesting because I thought all of this was not surprising. I expected those four to get in. Um, I expected this to kind of go this way. Um, people should not have been surprised this was the result. You have every right to be upset about it because this is annoying, but this is also why we should not have a playoff. And if you're going to do a playoff, then you better expand because what is the point? And I was listening to the split zone duo. I don't know if you listened to them, Matt. Um, very good college football podcast, but Stephen Godfrey of Banner, Banner Society was on there last night. And he mentioned that a lawsuit is a distinct possibility for the group of five schools that they can sue the NCAA because they're supposed to, they are supposed to be able to really qualify for a college football playoff. They have an opportunity because there's more money to be made if they are in this playoff. But this all showed this weekend that they have no shot. It doesn't matter what Cincinnati does. It doesn't matter what Coastal does. It doesn't matter what any of these other group of five schools do, they are never going to get into the college football playoff. And if that is the case without the college football playoff committee, just saying we're only allowing power five schools in, they can sue 
and say that you're for damages and like <laughs> for money because they're like we we have no opportunity but you claim that we do have this opportunity to make money and make the playoff and all of these things but it's like clearly we don't and you say that we do so the cat's out of the bag this was horrible if you're one of those fans but also should be expected like i never thought for a second remember before this season people started to get cute like oh cincinnati when pat mcafee put cincinnati in the playoff i think desmond howard did too it's like no this committee has never shown that they were going to actually give real credence to one of those conferences and look it's not fair to them there's no point in them playing a season i understand all of that they're playing for nothing i've argued if you're not going to let them in just move them to their own subdivision and call it a whatever um, and let them do their own playoff. Um, the games will be better because these games are going to, to suck. Like most, if you go back to most college football playoff games, since it's been invented, most of them have been pretty, pretty terrible, pretty awful. And I think this will be no different here. Um, I don't know. I, I have a lot of thoughts and I know I just threw a lot at you, Matt, but uh, what do you make of all of it? Uh, you did. You threw a lot. A lot to unpack there, but I think first and foremost, we, we just need to reevaluate just what we want the committee to do, because if you're just going to go with what you think, then, you know, we, we decide on the, we, we play these games, but then we can still just, just go back to what we think. And it's like, well, we think those are the best four teams. And it's like, we need something more substantial than that. And the BCS, I feel like that was the whole purpose was, Let's let's take an analytical approach. Let's get some computers in here and you know try to take some human bias out of it because there's so much human bias. Like the fact that Florida can be ranked number six, lose twice, and be number seven, it's it's just it kind of blows your mind. It's like USC is what thirteen and loses once and goes back to seventeen. It's like okay, I, I understand that. It's there's just certain losses. Like Iowa State loses. So let me get this straight. So Florida loses to a 3-5 and five LSU team, goes from 6-7. to seven. Iowa State loses to then number 10 Oklahoma, who you now think is number 6, and they drop from 6-10? to 10? Like, what? where's the logic there? Like, there, there's just so much human bias. And just looking at where Florida is ranked right now, it's I feel like it's it's like a joke. Are we not even paying attention to the games? It's like honestly, if they if they drop one for losing to LSU, they might should have gone up to for the way they lost to Alabama. Like if that's the precedent you set. But but yeah, like you said, I I would be upset if I was Cincinnati because there was a little chaos this year, and you just run the table and go undefeated, and you find yourself at number eight. It's like they were they were number six a few weeks back, and and somehow they proved to be worse without losing any games and beating even some better teams. So obviously they didn't play for a while and they were punished, even though Ohio State wasn't punished for not playing for a while. It's just we, we you don't there's such a subjective matter that we that we judge these teams by. And when you don't tell the teams what the what the criteria is, it just leaves everybody just questioning things like Notre Dame had a great season. You know, they went 10-0, and and their win over Clemson was good, and their win over North Carolina was good. But with the rematch versus Clemson, which granted, if, if they didn't join the ACC this year, they, you know, they would have never been in a conference championship game. But just the way they just got just blown off the field by Clemson, like not just not even be a competitive team, personally for me, I don't know about you, but I feel like it's so easy to kind of discredit that earlier win in the season over Clemson. Cause it's like, okay, well now we saw him with Trevor Lawrence at full strength and they're literally not even worth being on the same field as this team. So I, yeah, I know the win still did happen, but it seems like a team that loses their season finale in just a blowout. That's just not a kind of like team that deserves being in the playoff. In my opinion, like Texas A&M, yeah, they got blown out by Alabama, but what was that week two, week three, like they've won seven straight games since then. So there, there's got to be obviously, you know, a, a loss is a loss, a win is a win, but there is something to win you lose because I think that's the current, the current uh, form of that team. So A&M, I just think with their only loss being to this Alabama team that's just been so untouchable all season, it's like, and they've just run the table since then. I feel like A&M personally did more to, to deserve the fourth playoff spot 
than Notre Dame did. And honestly, if it was me, I would put an A&M as the three seed and Ohio State as the four. One, so that you just kind of avoid that A&M-Alabama rematch in the first round. And because Ohio State, like, you could make a legit – like, I don't want to adjust the seeds just to avoid rematches. But when you can make a legitimate claim that another team is better or has a better resume – and that's why it all has to come back to the resume. Like, that has to be the criteria because that's the only thing we can really judge teams on. And Texas A&M, you know, it's not a phenomenal resume. They got wins over Florida. And then, you know, maybe Auburn and LSU might be their next best wins. But you're talking about a 6-0 Ohio State team that beat Indiana and Northwestern. Like, those aren't great teams by any stretch. Like, Northwest and Ohio State also didn't look dominant in those games either. So I would have had no problem putting Ohio State at four and A&M at three just because I, I feel like A&M I I, did more. Do you to, agree with to, this? Do you think Notre Dame had more of a more of a because I go back and forth on this. I like I spent most of today with the opinion that Notre Dame at least still has a better case than Ohio State because at least they played the full schedule. At least they still have one win against Clemson. They beat North Carolina. They have some good wins in there and we've seen how impressive they've looked at times um, and they played a full schedule. I, I just don't think we can discount that and all the hoops that Ohio State got to jump through to make all this happen. I, I don't feel good about it. Like I think Ohio State bothers me a lot more and I still, like you said, I I think they're one of the four best teams. Like we're going to get into our picks this week on the next podcast, but like, I think uh, Ohio state's going to win. Like, I think they're going to beat Clemson, but I don't think they should have that opportunity. Like I, it's not Ohio state's fault that the season didn't happen uh, the way it should have for them, but like that's reality. And I think Texas A&M fans and Cincinnati fans being upset that they had to play as many games as they did and got through it the way they did, and didn't get an opportunity. I think they have every right to be upset about it. Yeah, I mean, right? Especially someone like Texas A&M. They're like, 6-0? and We've gone 6-0 and like seven times in the last eight years or yeah. something. Like, we don't know they, that Ohio State would have ran the table. They love going 5-0, and 6-0. But, but yeah, I just they're, – they're, we've seen teams just – stakes of like the and everything but at the same time with what you saw on the field i feel like instead of like uh the four best teams i it seems like we should try to get back to just being like the four most deserving teams it's like we know it we know it when we see it like most deserving like notre dame you get blasted on the last on the season finale conference championship you didn't do enough to earn your way into into the national cha- championship or into the college football playoff as far as I'm concerned. You know, like, you know, if we see a, an epic uh, SEC championship, you know, like that's one thing that's like kind of unfortunate like, in the current era of college football. Like I know people throw through back to that Florida, uh, Alabama SEC championship when Tim Tebow was there and everything and how it would have been so anticlimactic, like those two big games, and then both teams still make the playoff. You know, it, it kind of loses a little something. But if those two teams do just battle with each other in a, in a great game and they're the two best teams in the country, then, yeah, they, they deserve to both make the top four. But, like, when you saw, like, Georgia and, and Alabama a couple years ago and just, like, an epic SEC championship. But if the team is just blown out from the first quarter on, really, I mean, I guess I don't know when exactly they – score their first touchdown in that game but Clemson was once they scored their first touchdown Clemson was obviously just off to the races but I um yeah it's it's uh it's definitely a difficult decision but uh so you you would go Notre Dame over Ohio State is that what you're saying I think you could sell me on them being the like here's the problem not all playoff teams are created equal and this is <laughs> I just think it's such a bad look that after all this and this is something that i go back to too is like i will pose this question to you do you what do you think the spread would be for a&m and alabama let's just say they take out notre dame at the four spot and they put a&m there we know it's a 20 point spread right now do you think it's that much different 
What do you, what do you think? I, the spread I think it's is there? nineteen and a half. Exactly. <laughs> so since he's probably what a thirty point dog against Bama, if you put them in there, Coastal's like a forty point dog if you put them in there. So I think there is some nuance to this discussion in that it doesn't really matter who you put in that four spot because they're gonna get boat raced by Bama. So it it all seems irrelevant. It's more about the precedent that you're setting by putting them there, even though we just saw them get boat raced by a fully fully healthy and fully functional Clemson team that is clearly in a class above Notre Dame. Like We just know now for sure that they are a playoff team, that they are someone that is a different tier than Notre Dame. Clemson at full strength is a different tier than Notre Dame. Notre Dame is still a very good football program. They are still a top 10 program in this country. They will continue to be a top 10 program. They are just not at Alabama and Clemson's level at full strength. And there's nothing wrong with that because most teams aren't. A&M's not. Cincinnati's not. Basically nobody is. Exactly. So it, it goes back to like, what are we even arguing about? Who gets the right to get burned by these two programs? Like, I, that's something I fall back on a lot too. It's just like it's hard for me to get that upset about any of this and all the different people who are getting dismayed about the opportunities. I'm like, I mean, do you know what's waiting for you? Like, do you know the buzzsaw that you're walking into? Who, who's fighting over the right to get just throttled by one of these two powerhouses? And then, like I said, I am going to pick Ohio State over. Clemson, but part of that is just like Clemson Dabo running his mouth about Ohio State being like the 11th best team in the country, which we all know is not true and insane. But um, that's the kind of bulletin board material where I'm like, mm, here's the difference between Notre Dame and Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State has just as good players as you, if not better at some spots. Like this is not the same thing and it will be neutral and all that other stuff. Like, I, I don't know. Um, I think yeah, and those two teams. Oh, yeah, and those two teams gave us a classic right. last year. So it's not like I don't want to see Clemson Ohio State part two. It should be a good one. It's just kind of arguing if Ohio State deserves it with what they've done. But and I yeah, don't think they do. And it's not it, their fault. And that's the problem. It is not their fault. The Big Ten did this to them. The Big Ten kind of turned Ohio State into bigger enemies of the rest of the country than they already were, right? Yeah, it's like everyone in college football already hated Ohio State. <laughs> like the the, the privileged elite yeah. Ohio State that there is. But but yeah, just looking at this, like yeah, the like you've said, the first the first round we've seen so many blowouts anyway, like maybe that is, you know, that's an argument against expansion. Yes. But that also could be an argument that maybe you're not picking the four best teams. Maybe the teams at five and six actually, you know, are better than you think. And it it would just be a just a so much more satisfying conclusion to where a&M isn't complaining about Notre Dame and Oklahoma's not complaining about Ohio State. It's like, no, just decide it on the field and then we can see how many how many elite teams we really have. You know, I'm I imagine you go to eight, you're still gonna see a lot of Alabama Clemson national championships or whoever slides in at that at that point in history, but you're gonna see those elite teams continue to be elite because because that's who they are. But it's still it just makes the college football season that much more satisfying because you're not pissed at, oh, the media just loves Ohio State. That's why they're in. It's like, oh, no, Ohio State's in because they just blasted two SEC teams in the first and second round. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. when you just decided on the field, no one has any arguments. And then you're probably just going to have more respect for the other good teams in the country. It's like, hey, you guys suck. You guys suck. But let's play each other and decide, not go, yo, you guys haven't beaten anybody. They only beat that team. Oh, yeah, but who is that team beating? Oh, yeah, but who is that team? It's like that's what every college football fan is or every college football argument is with fans in different conferences. Yeah. I think this is going to be a breaking point, though. I think we're going to get expansion sooner rather than later. I don't think they're going to reduct it. I don't think we're going back to the BCS, but I do think you can't continue with the four-team group. It's just this is this feels like a breaking point, and I, what I would probably do is I would drop a game in the season because I don't love the idea of adding games to the schedule. More injuries will happen. 
Um, I don't like these guys adding more wear and tear to their body um, before like superstars like Harris get to the NFL and taking more games off. Like you don't want more girly stuff in the college level. You don't want him um, getting more carries. So his career ends at 25 instead of 26 in the NFL. Like you want, I I would prefer less games if they're going to go down that road, Um, cut it down to 11. Um, I think the season taught us a lot in that regard, but I think it also taught us that like conference only games are awesome. And we need to make sure that every school going forward has like, nine conference games at minimum one big group of five game versus a power five like every group of five powerhouse like coastal should be able to play south carolina maybe even clemson like this is how we settle this too is scheduling so that byu is playing georgia and they're playing somebody else outside of their conference so that we can see that in cincy I think they have two big, like, I think Cincy plays Notre Dame and somebody else next year. I think they actually have two big power five games next year. Well, and that's what's so difficult for those teams to schedule games, though, is they, because they don't want to play them. The, the the power five don't want to play them. Well, and you just kind of have to have the foresight like those those programs aren't really, you know, perennial contenders. You know? Yeah, it's but like, that's what we saw is the flexibility this year that you can flip games whenever you want. Right. Like you should be able to. Yeah, but they still agree, have all these agreements. Like, I mean, you've looked at Georgia's non-conference schedule for the next 10 years it's like they play clemson like three times play ohio state a couple times florida state they play uh who else am i forgetting they play oklahoma like they're texas they're they're gonna be all over the place so when really that's what we want from college football fans it's like we no disrespect to the group of five but you want the power five playing other good power five teams you know it's like you would like to be able to cherry pick and be like well yeah coastal carolina is good get them on the schedule but you just, it's hard to do that when they make these schedules so many years out so really you just love seeing 10 conference games because it was it was 10 games you know that Alabama didn't play the Citadel or, you know, or Louisiana Monroe or something. Nobody missed But you still will want to see Alabama play Texas and see Alabama play USC. And that's going to make it still difficult on Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati and BYU, especially once they get some notoriety. Because like you said, it's it's kind of a lose-lose situation when you go up against one of those good teams from from the group of five. All right. Well, we'll put a bow on it there. Um your last Heisman rankings before uh, before it all happens. How do you have it shaking out here? So I was um, I was very indecisive. I know last week when we gave mm-hmm. Heisman rankings, but I'm decisive this week. Five, five top five on two different teams. No, you can't do that. What? I'm just saying those have been the five best players in college football to me. Okay, number five, Kyle Pitts. Number four, Kyle Trask. Number three, Mac Jones. Number two, Najee Harris. Number one, Devontae Smith. Mm. It's dumb, but like I look at Alabama and I'm like, that's the best receiver in college football. That's the best running back in college football. That's the best quarterback in college football. Like it's, it's oh, like not even fair. That last one, I don't now. know. That last one's debatable, and Trask has been. I oh see, I've changed too. I've changed too, Matt. You're not gonna like how I my final. You going Trevor Lawrence? You throwing him in there? I I give it to Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence is actually is out of out of left field. Yeah, this weekend, like rewatching that game against Notre Dame, them being up thirty four to three against the fourteen, like him just being like, yeah, we are undefeated and don't have a close game this year. If I play every game, like this is um this is done. Like I am clearly the best quarterback prospect. I am clearly the most valuable to my team. We are not losing a game. He definitely locked up the MVP this week. That's what I'm saying. Like, I I think we're now overthinking it where it was just like, well, you know, DJ Uwalehi, he played really well in his absence against Notre Dame. How much better can Trevor Lawrence be? And then he's like, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll be up 34 to three in our title game and win our sixth straight, the eighth CC title. Like it's nothing. Um, My list goes one Lawrence, two Trask, three Devontae Smith, four, Mac Jones, five, Najee Harris. Okay. That's that's still respectable. Um, I, I could probably throw uh, Trevor Lawrence there in the top five. But, like, when I watch Kyle Pitts, like, I feel like Kyle Pitts is almost better than Kyle Trask. Like, I can't deny the, the numbers, the production that Trask has had all year, especially. And he was really good on Pitts. Saturday. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He definitely was. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think ultimately my guess is Devontae Smith wins, which is kind of wild to think about because think of if Jalen Waddle doesn't get hurt, does Jalen Waddle win or is no Alabama guy even in the conversation? Like Devontae Smith, That's... has anyone's ever benefited so much from one in- in- injury in a college football season like this? No kidding. I was actually thinking about this on, on Saturday. I was like, they have maybe the three best players in college football and arguably their best player is out. Like yeah. this is insane. Just the embarrassment of riches at Alabama right now is just insane. Like Jalen Waddle really was the X factor, like doing everything. I mean, he was that kind of Heisman type player too. Like just cause he would return punts and kicks and everything. And just, he was just that kind of, he seemed more like a, probably a closer uh, to Desmond Howard, who was the last receiver to win the award. He seemed more cut from that mold, you know, just the game breaker like that. But mm-hmm. Devontae Smith has shown uh, what he can do in the punt return game as well. But he's just been, he's just been so good all year. And it's, it's insane. Like I, when Najee Harris and Devontae Smith both, both announced they were coming back, I was just like, what are these guys thinking? Like Najee Harris He's going to be the kind of guy that just tears up the combine. You know, he's just a freak for a guy his size, the way he moves and what he does in the receiving game. Like he was a borderline first round pick. He might not Edwards, the right? He was the first running back taken at, at the very last pick of the first round. I think he may have gone right around there, right around where Deandre Swift went and everything. Now I was like, I don't know why this guy's coming back. Now it's like, he should be a top 10 pick. Like I know running backs don't really go in the top 10 anymore, but like, He's he is that workhorse that should go in the top ten, and the same with Devonte Smith. It's like you had Henry Ruggs and um, oh shoot, Jerry Judy both going first round. I was like Devonte Smith. I mean, he might be first round too, and I would have never thought that either of them could have actually boosted their draft stock by coming back when they were already first round talents. Good for that upstart Alabama Crimson Tide program. Good for them. Yeah, for, uh, they need it. Yeah. They don't have any good wide receivers. <laughs> um. Bo Pelini out at DC at LSU. LSU sneakily sneaks back to 500 to close their year. Five and five. I yeah, don't I was, think that's a possibility. I was looking at it because kind of, we've kind of been talking about like the SEC kind of power rankings uh, as the season's gone on. And with all the craziness, like we, that there's basically in the top four in the SEC that are quality teams. And then it kind of dives off a cliff. It's like Auburn is that fifth one that's like kind of respectable. And then it's everyone else has just been kind of kind of bad this year. And LSU mm-hmm. might end up being like the sixth best team in the SEC with all the craziness going on. And uh, it was just an awful year for them. But they found but their yeah, quarterback. I mean, yeah, they Max might, Johnson they is going to be a dude. That guy, he's from Oconee. You know who his mom is? Um. She's really like Mark Rick or something, isn't she? Mark Rick's sister. Do you know who yeah, his dad is? Because Brad Johnson yeah, is his dad. Like just an all time family there. Yeah, Oconee County and uh, Clark County have been producing some some big time quarterback prospects in recent years. And he's a lefty, Southpaw. I, I root for every left handed quarterback as a lefty myself. So good. <laughs> you got to love it. Mm-hmm. No, he looks good. I think Max Johnson's going to be really good for them. But yeah, I know one thing that Mason Smith, that uh, top-ranked defensive tackle in the country, one of the things he talked about was knowing who the defensive coordinator was going to be, and he signed with LSU about <laughs> a week ago. So I don't, I don't know what's going on there if he's if he's too happy about that. Yeah. Well, you know what? LSU deserves credit for this. When something's not working, they're like, "No, nah, we we have money. We're LSU. We're in the SEC. We're getting our eight point five million dollar payout from the bowl season this year without even playing in it. Um, we have money. We have boosters. We're not just going to settle for this nonsense. Like it just didn't work for Bo Pelini. We threw a lot of money at him. Didn't work. See you later. Like I think there's a lot to that. And Georgia just being like James Coley gave him a shot. He sucked." We're going somewhere else. Like, I think more teams should be that cut. Like, not if you're a, like, I don't know, Indiana or something, you got to gotta give it a couple of years, I think. But if you're a embarrassment of riches school, you owe it to your fans to just immediately change gears. This is what Tennessee fans are getting so upset about is that, like, they have this opportunity and they have the money to make these changes and they just, it's, it's a mess right now. But um, kudos to LSU for just, recognizing hey we just won the national title and this stuff can get ugly in a hurry if we don't get on top of this and like this is unacceptable we are lsu we are one of the five best programs in the country 
We are going to act like it. And we are going to throw a lot of money around. So that hey, is what we're going to do. Dabo, Dabo was an interim coach, though. That had, that was just kind of mediocre for a couple years. So if mm. Clemson had pulled the trigger too quick, they might not be the powerhouse that we now see today. I feel like some teams, that's what gets people in trouble is just is pulling that trigger quickly every time. And then after a while, I think guys don't want that job. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, it will be interesting to see who gets that DC spot because it's going to be high pressure. High pressure for sure. Um, the Auburn head coaching search um, is going to end with sadness for me because I feel like it's going to be Bill Clark from UAB, and that's who I've wanted at Tennessee for a while, but I'm not even sure Tennessee's going to make a change. But, um, yeah, it seems like that search might accidentally result in them getting a competent, just solid Alabama guy. Um, Billy Napier is out. Steve Sarkeesian's out. Uh, what do you make of the Alabama head coaching search? Or Auburn, uh, Auburn yeah. Um, I, I'm i starting to wonder, man, for Billy Napier to turn down this job, that that kind of raises a red flag with me. Like, I know I've heard some, some things that it's uh, – one of the things that's turning people off is that, you know, Auburn's talked about wanting to keep certain guys on the staff. I don't know yeah. if that includes Kevin Steele because we've talked about – I bet you it does. We would think that that's probably what it does if he's so close. Uh, the boosters who it is love if it, him. If he's so close to the boosters and everything, exactly. So, it, uh, no head coach, no self-respecting like head coach is going to want to come in and you're just already feel like the administration is pulling some strings. You know, you just you want to come in, pick your staff, and just and have your guys and and get ready to work. You know, so the fact that Billy Napier would turn down. Auburn to state University of Louisiana I just feel like that that is just that's a huge story and the fact that Sarkeesian it sounds like he turned down an interview for Auburn like he was just that uninterested so Sarkeesian seemed like the kind of guy that would have been a great hire personally like I think that would have been a home run for them and same with Billy Napier so now I'm kind of wondering where they do turn if they go to Bill Clark or you know maybe I don't know kick the tires on Jamie Chadwell, like see, see how he's doing at coastal Carolina. Like there's enough know. money. You remember, freeze. do you remember how it got with the Michigan state search with Mel Tucker where he's like, no, thanks. And they're like, how about this much money? No, thanks. What about if we gave you this much? Eh, you're getting closer. I love yeah. Colorado though. Sorry. I'm going to stay at Colorado. What if we gave you this much? Okay. I'll leave. Like they could do that with whoever they want. Like Michigan state was able to just keep throwing money at, Mel Tucker before he's like, okay, you bought my loyalty. But like Auburn, way more money than that. They could keep doing that to Jamie Chadwell. So people are like, oh, he just signed like a 10 year extension. They can literally just keep going back. What about this much? What about this much, Jamie? What about this much? But it's the weirdest part about all this to me is that Hugh Freeze, who we just assume was the guy, not even in the conversation anymore. Is he not in the. I haven't heard like any real just reports about him are they not interested in Hugh Freeze like I'm I'm confused because that weird, seemed right? like the no-brainer with how well he's he's turning a program like Liberty around but I don't know it just it raises the question like in the in the coaching community like how is this job perceived you know if we're talking like top college football programs of the last decade plus Auburn might be top 10 uh, maybe top 15 Top, Auburn like did a top ten job in college football. It's tough to say that because I was I was trying to go down like in the SEC. I'd probably say it's the fifth or sixth fifth? job in the SEC. I'm, I mean, it's not better than Georgia or no. Alabama or Florida or LSU. I think it's better than Florida. I don't know if it's I don't better. know, man. Just because of the talent in the state of Florida, I feel but you're like you're competing with a. I, I don't know. I think also I think Auburn would probably rocket up your boards if they were actually in the east not the west like i think if they yeah and that's part of it being located in alabama for sure and then you just talk about those other national brands like you know the usc's the oregon's and oklahoma and texas and ohio state michigan penn state like i think all of those kind of have more prestige than auburn does so i don't know it's it's tough to pencil them in exactly what kind of job it is and then you just being you know the little brother to Nick Saban in Alabama, that that has to be what turns turns the coaches off to to this place. And then now, if you talk about the administration kind of having their hands too much 
in the coach's pockets, it's like that's another thing they could turn this job off. So I, I really wonder, you know, kind of who they're going to get because Auburn, Auburn, like you said, they this should be a top ten job. Like Auburn has the money, they have just the the stadium, they just they have everything an SEC team needs. They've been just a step below maybe some of those elite SEC teams. But, you know, we've seen them make the SEC championship I mean, they've been twice. national championships in the last 10 years. Yeah, exactly. And they made the SEC championship three times in the last 10 years. So it, it, they have to, all those, both of those seasons did have like a flukiness to them with just how lucky the 2013 season was and Cam Newton just kind of just hitting the lottery with Cam Newton for one year. But those still happen, and Auburn is still – one of the better jobs in the country. And I'm, I'm just, that's why I'm just shocked that a guy would stay at university of Louisiana. Like he has to know something I would think to like have something set up a year from now or something to, to turn down a job like Auburn, because that seems like what he was waiting for, you know, that, that job in the sec. So I'm really curious now where, where Billy Napier goes from here. Yeah. I wonder if he's waiting on something else. I wonder which job he's looking at because if he's staying at Louisiana, he and he's turned down other jobs. He wasn't interested in South Carolina. He wasn't interested in Auburn. I I wonder what job he's he's eyeing in the SEC. I there's got to be one of them. Maybe it's Tennessee. Maybe it's LSU. Like that wouldn't surprise me if he's just like I think Ed Orgeron's seat super hot, and if they, they have another lackluster season, I can just move from Louisiana to LSU. Like that would not surprise me at all if he's eyeing that one. Um, That's a valid point. Maybe you think he'd be the next Clemson guy. He might. He's, yeah, he, he was a grad assistant at Clemson. I don't know. Alabama fans seem convinced that Davo's going to come home as soon as uh, as soon as Saban retires, but I don't. I don't see that happening. Yeah, I don't know. Um, last thing. Um, how would you rate the current coaching hires at this moment, Matt Green? Um, I'll let you start us off. I think you have more uh, more to say about the South Alabama hire than than I would. Well, I think Kane Womack is probably good. I think they're a sleeping giant. They're probably going to be a group of five monster in a couple years. I think he's familiar with the area. He had a really good defense at Indiana. Working with Tom Allen seems to be super beneficial. Um they have money and boosters there, so I would expect South Alabama to have a jump. Like, I actually like every hire so far. That's what's funny is I don't really have any negative things. Like, Will Hall has been really good at Tulane. Um, he's probably going to be really awesome at Southern Miss. He's going to put together some really often, awesome offenses. He um, he was a head coach at West Georgia and West Alabama, going 56-20. and 20. Um, So I think he'll be really good in Biloxi. Like, Butch, for all the jokes probably going to be really good at Arkansas state. Like they're probably going to be solid with him. Um, Blake Anderson at Utah state. He was nothing but consistent at uh, Arkansas state. He's got, yeah, Butch Jones. I think Butch Jones gets a lot of criticism and he like, it's forgotten kind of how good he had that Tennessee program. And everywhere before that, if you look at, yeah, exactly. And what he did at Cincinnati, like I think, uh, and where was a central Michigan too. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I think, Butch Jones getting back into a small conference, like he'll probably do what he's always done. Then you have Shane Beamer. He's the one wild card. Like Shane Beamer is the one I have no idea. Like either he builds a super staff like Orgeron and he is really good there and he creates a little, like something really fun and awesome there, or it's an absolute disaster because he is the, I think he's the lowest paid SEC coach now. So he, he should be. Yeah, he's not a not a huge investment there, and I understand they'll be paying Will Muschamp a lot, but like, I don't know. Shane Beamer is a huge. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I can't even assign a rating to that really, just because he's such a question mark. I love the Brett Bielma hire in Illinois. Illinois is a terrible program. It's almost impossible to win there. Almost impossible. At least this guy's won the Big Ten. Like that dude. He's hilarious. He's objectively hilarious, and I miss him talking in the SEC. Like, it didn't work at Arkansas, but that doesn't mean it won't work at Illinois. Like, I I don't I, – I love that hire. He feels very Big Tenny, and it, it uh, I, I think it's great. Like, they should be throwing just darts to the board. Like, hey, remember this guy? He was awesome in the Big Ten at some point. Maybe he can do something. I think that's what they should do. Um, For sure, and I think his time at Arkansas was honestly a little underrated, like, in a way. Like, he had – 
couple eight and five, seven and six seasons yeah. at Arkansas. Like I don't think he's forgotten how to coach. Dropped, yeah, how far they've dropped since. Like I think you kind of saw how good of a job he was actually doing at Arkansas. The last one, Clark Lee, probably a lot better than Vanderbilt should have been able to do just because of their resources and what money they're putting into their department, how out of date their facilities are and everything. Clark Lee seems like a really good hire, Notre Dame defense coordinator, familiar with the area, but that job just sucks. But for Vanderbilt, I think that's the best they probably could have done. Yeah, I agree. I think that's getting a guy with some Vanderbilt experience. Like that's that's definitely the, the direction they wanted to go. And yeah, I feel like going from Notre Dame defensive coordinator to Vanderbilt, I think that's that's as good as they could have asked for. We'll see what he can actually do. All right. Well, let's uh, let's rifle through these games that happened. Uh, starting on Friday, uh, Oregon defeats USC 31-24. Um, Slovis had a really rough night. Almost 50% of his uh, passes were completed, three of which were interceptions to other teams. The game ended off a unbelievable interception on the sideline that looked like an incompletion when you first saw it, and uh, no, he came down with it. Um, USC was just committing all kinds of dumb penalties. This was a classic Clay Helton game, and... Uh, we overthought this when we made our predictions, and I was just like, Keaton Slovis is just going to score too much for this Oregon offense. I'm just not a believer in their offense, but Oregon's defense came to play. So shout out to them for doing that. But the nine penalties, 98 yards was huge. Um, Oregon goes and wins the Pac-12, I guess. Like, here's an amazing <laughs> stat that you're going to remember 20 years from now, Matt. Oregon won the Pac-12 without winning the Pac-12 North. Uh, yeah is that not insane i saw a stat oh man i I sure wrote this down because it was so confusing they were like uh someone said it was kind of on the same lines that you were talking like you looking back at this 2020 season usc won the pac-12 south oregon or uh, washington won the pac-12 north oregon won the conference (laughs) and colorado is the highest ranked team in the conference (laughs) it's just it's just bananas like he is is that pretty much sums up what 2020 was for the Pac-12. Bama beats Florida 52 to 46. This this game was not as close as it looked. Um the fact that Todd Grantham has not been fired yet is unbelievable. Like the stats are just bonkers. I mean it's Bama, I know, over 600 yards of offense, but like Najee Harris 178 two TDs in the ground, 31 carries total. Um, 67 receiving yards with three touchdowns there. Mac Jones, 33 of 43, 418. Um, and Devontae Smith, 15 catches, 184. I mean, just they did whatever they wanted. Trask and Pitts and friends did not have a chance because their defense was not going to get the stops necessary. It's what we expected. But Florida covered. So we did not uh, we did not get that one right. But um, yeah, Dan Mullen's group, their offense is bonkers, just like Bama. Not to that extent, because they just don't have the players that Bama does. But a uh, great season for Florida, unbelievable season for Bama. I just cannot believe that Grantham has not been relieved like Bo Pelini at this point. Yeah, and you would think if it hasn't happened by now... It's probably like, not happening. I'm kind of questioning if he is going to be How this Florida defense was all season long, like... I don't know. I know Mullen and Grant have been together for a while, so you know maybe he doesn't want to get rid of his guy. But I feel like Florida, you know, this isn't the Big Twelve. You know, Florida's a team that traditionally, like, they know defense. You know, this team is even when Jim McElwain was there, like, the defense was good every year. So I would just think they they've fallen so far, and you got to look at this team. And just think, if we had a defense with any sort of pulse, like, this team could have won a national championship. Like, with what they have on offense, yeah, it's just, it's insane. But I think what what we thought was going to hold Florida back was, you know, they just haven't been, other than the defense, it's just they haven't consistently ran the ball well enough. And I think you saw that, again, was a, was a weakness of theirs. Alabama was able to just shut down the running game. And the Kyle Trask, I feel like, it seemed like a lot of design runs for Kyle Trask in this game. Like, I don't know if that was part of the game plan, like to get him running more, but he, he was sacked five times. So on his actual carries, he had 10 carries for 19 yards. And, you know, to give him double the carries of any other player on the team is just kind of questionable. And Naquan Wright had the most carries of any Florida, uh, any other player with four 
And Emory Jones had two carries for 24 yards. So it's like they – it's strange how they didn't really even attempt to run the ball with anyone other than Trask consistently. So I'm just – I was kind of curious about that. Obviously, the passing game has been good all year, and and it was again. Trask was just you know super accurate in this one, like like he has been. And 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 in Florida's defense, you know, early in this game, they just it seemed like every break went went against them. You know, so there was the interception, just to get a big stop on an interception and fumble it, just absolutely get rocked on that play like he did, but. To, to fumble an interception and to get a third down stop and get like a, a hands to the face penalty. Like those are just the kind of things you can't afford with Alabama because you saw they weren't going to get that many stops. So when they, when you get the stops and you get the ball right back, that's just, that's very frustrating. And I personally thought two decisions by Dan Mullen may potentially cost Florida this game. I don't know about you, but right before the half, the clock management, they, they snapped the ball with like 20 seconds on the clock and, and scored with like a minute 10 left in the second quarter. And Alabama just comes down and scores in about, what, 45 seconds or so and takes a 35-17 lead at the half. And I thought that was huge. Like 28-17 uh, halftime deficit for Florida, like you honestly couldn't ask for much more of that to still be in striking distance. So I thought that was big when it went 35-17. And then – the personally, I don't understand. I still don't. It's been explained to me, and I still don't really understand the analytical approach at the end of the game there, like going for two to make it a six point game. I guess it's just if you feel like your team is going to convert 50% at least of two point conversions, if you don't get it the first time, you will get it the second time and, and tie it up. But I thought that was weird, but that's the analytical approach, and I've seen a lot of people defend that. But what I didn't what I disagreed with was the fact that they called a timeout in order to, to go for two right there. I thought the timeouts were, were that important that it just, it seemed like that's a situation where, okay, we wanted to go for two to, to take this analytical approach, but let's just take the delay a game, get the five yard penalty and just make it a seven game, seven point game right here because the timeout was just that much more important. Like if Florida has two timeouts, and forces Alabama to a three and out on that final possession like they did. Side note, I feel like I was watching a Georgia game. Like, since when does Alabama just run the ball up the middle three times and just give the ball back to someone at the end of the game? I thought only Georgia did that. But um, no, but on a serious note, but I thought it was just, if, if they just hold Alabama to a three and out and ha- still have the two timeouts, then they can get the ball back with about a what, 50 seconds left or so? Instead, they had 15 seconds on the clock. Like, they really didn't have much of a chance. They had the one play and got sacked, and that was it. But I, So I thought those two, like you said, the game was a little closer than it kind of felt the whole game. But I I felt like those two decisions by Dan Mullen, honestly, it could have been the difference in Florida actually winning this thing. Yeah. Well, they didn't. And uh, <laughs> Bama moves on. Um, and clips, the rankings yeah. don't care at all. They just leave them right there at seven. That gri- grinds my gears. I swear, Georgia, it always it always irritates me when Georgia loses an SEC championship and then they're ranked behind the team that they beat in the regular season. And apparently this only applies when it doesn't happen to Georgia. It grinds my gears. I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> um, no, but obviously they were, they were better. I had the better season. Clemson, 34, Notre Dame, 10. Um, I thought this game was over after the first couple drives for Notre Dame. Like once they had, they got inside the Clemson 40 multiple times. Um, they got Trevor Lawrence to make a mistake in the first possession for Clemson. I was like, okay, this is the kind of game they need to have. They're going to have a shot here. And then they had three points of those three possessions, missed a field goal, turnover on downs i was like that that's it you can't have that many bad possessions early on against clemson like you you burn your bridge you you had your shot you you just you can't do it clemson's just you got to be perfect and what they did in the first quarter and second quarter really it was like oh this this is over yeah i definitely after that the the first opening drive where you get the field goal and then you get the interception and then you come down and get nothing out of it. It, it felt like the game was over right then. Yeah. Clemson just comes down, gets the big play, and then just Notre Dame was done. And 
And I was definitely like, I'm definitely one of the people that was like, you know, how big of a difference does Trevor Lawrence make? DJ Uyengalele had a great game and uh, Notre Dame still got the victory, but you just saw the difference. Trevor Lawrence, just, just his presence on the field, you know, and it's just his ability along the intangibles that he brings. It's just, the, def- the team was just completely different. Like you saw the biggest difference. I think we even referenced it uh, beforehand was what he did to the running game and just to have 90 yards on the ground and open things up for ETN on the ground, who, who's, you know, kind of struggled a little bit this year, but with Lawrence back in there, like this offense just, it looked like the Clemson team, you know, we, we expected to see all year. And this is the team that, you know, the playoffs roll around and they're, they're right back to playing their best ball at the, at the right time. Yeah, it's scary. Um, we haven't really talked about these last two games all that much. Um, Ohio State 22, Northwestern 10. This is actually like the, the game Northwestern needed to have to have a shot. and it Without a doubt. And shout out to them for keeping it close like they did. Um, it held. This was a crazy stat that I just thought told the story of this game. The Buckeyes were touchdownless in the first half, which was the first time. In over two years, the Buckeyes have been held to zero first half touchdowns. Is that not insane? Over two years. Yeah, it definitely was. I it was just it was unbelievable watching this game. That uh, I like this is probably the worst I've seen Justin Fields play in his time in college. Even that game in uh, against Indiana where he he turned the ball over several times, he still made a lot of plays in that game. He. He really struggled to really make anything happen in this one. And I feel like the biggest uh, criticism I had with Ohio State earlier in the season was with Master Teague. I feel like their running game just was a significant drop off from from J.K. Dobbins a year ago. But Trey Sermon, dude, he was just he was a beast, like Big Ten championship record, 331 yards on the ground. Like he's 100 percent the reason they won that game and um, and kept Ohio State in the playoff like this. This Notre Dame or Notre Dame, this Northwestern defense was uh was given Fields problems for sure. Yeah. So shout out Northwestern on a great season and uh we'll see if they're able to keep Pat Fitzgerald uh from the NFL for one more. Oh, time. he's not going anywhere, man. He's North purple in his blood, man. We'll see. I, I think but, he'll eventually make the jump, but we we shall see. I um, wonder. Oklahoma 27, Iowa State 21. I don't know if you enjoyed seeing Spencer Rattler's parents showed 93 times during this game, which it felt like. Um, (laughs) Matt Campbell's group, they deserve credit. They fought really hard. This is a really entertaining game, especially down to the end. Um, They were down 17 points multiple times. Um, Iowa State's defense didn't quit. They really stopped Oklahoma in the second half. Um, three points was all Oklahoma was able to muster the second half five punts against Lincoln Riley's group is an impressive feat. This was a really special season for Iowa state. It turned out not to matter because they would not have gotten into the playoff if they had won this game anyway, but they gave it their all. Purdy was erratic at the end. He's a gunner until the end of time and he's entertaining, but, uh, Oklahoma winning the big 12 rinse repeat yeah seriously it's like with all the craziness that we had in the big 12 it's like by the end of it oklahoma's still on top every everything was the same you know but um yeah i purdy you know he's obviously a gunslinger but that last interception i'm just like what are you doing man like there's a minute left in the game third and 11 like why are you just throwing this thing up for grabs? Like it's no time left on the clock, but, um, what I can, I can say a lot on, on my couch watching my TV at home. It's a little bit more difficult from his perspective, but, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a good one for Oklahoma and it's always unfortunate. I always feel bad for those teams. Like they, they go through the whole, it's like the Atlanta Hawks that one year, you know, they're the one seed, like, no one actually thought the Hawks were going to win the finals. And then they don't. And everyone's just like, yeah, we never expected it. Like, that's Iowa State. Like, everyone's like, is Iowa State really even that good? Oklahoma will definitely beat them in a rematch. And then Iowa State fans are like, oh, no, we are. We're actually legit. We're good. And then Oklahoma comes in, beats them. And then everyone just doesn't pay attention. Like, yeah, we knew Iowa State wasn't good. You know, I, I, I feel for those teams. But uh, 
in the end, it, it, they are who we thought they were, to, uh, to quote Dennis Green. Absolutely. Um, quickly, Cincinnati 27, Tulsa 24, San Jose State 34, Boise 20. Special season for San Jose State, but it looks like they are going to lose their coach to Arizona um, by all accounts. So something to watch there, but a great season for them nonetheless. Penn State quietly gets their season back on track, finishing 4-5, and five, blowing out uh, Illinois. Stanford 4-2, and two. good year for David Shaw. Um, he's been going through some tough times. Davis Mills was really good in this game. Chip Kelly might be on the way out there. Uh, Wisconsin gets a win and gets the, gets the ax against PJ Fleck and they, uh, improved to three and three. Something that I think we'll need to monitor going into next year. Missouri gets blown out by Mississippi state. Mississippi state finishes three and seven. The record's not good. Will Rogers is good. And Mike Leach has figured some stuff out down the stretch, uh, in Starkville. So Mississippi state, I think will be a lot better next year. Um, old miss, obviously just being a lot of fun and Matt Coral having 17 carries for 158 Uh, this week was pretty awesome. Utah. Awesome. Army finishing out their season nine and two, eight, no at home beating air force was pretty cool. Hopefully I think they're getting the Liberty bowl. I think they're taking actually Tennessee's place in Liberty bowl last I checked. So that should be interesting. Um, speaking of Tennessee, they got blown out and that's how we'll, We'll end things here by Texas A&M, uh, 34 to 13. Uh, it was 24 to 13 at the half, and people are like, oh, maybe, maybe. 7-7 for the first quarter, and it's like, no, 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 no. You haven't watched Tennessee game this year. I, I promise you, this game is you over. You guys don't know how the third quarter works. Yeah, like, uh, th- this is over. Tennessee's not scoring in the second half, and uh, they did not, and lost 34 to 13. They are just suffocated every week in the SEC. They just, they, they hang in there for a little bit, and then uh, a better SEC program just... Uh, wraps uh their coils around this this team and they they suffocate and it's painful boring and awful so uh yeah i'm not going to shed a tear about tennessee missing uh missing out on a bowl game against west virginia i am i'm very much glad that this season is over and i hope uh we get a very different look next year and you know texas a&m is the first sec team to have a one-loss season and get left out of the college football playoff. Well, Jimbo did make us aware of that. Yes, he did. I was a. Uh, I feel like he he had his stats ready to go. I respect that. He's Can like, I he won seven about straight Jimbo? games. Some some teams I didn't play seven games. I'm just I'm just saying. <laughs> I respect it. That was my Jimbo impression. <laughs> Can I uh, make what? Uh, speaking of impressions, do you think his accent's real, or do you think he puts it on? <laughs> this is something that i'm like a about. nicholas cage from con air yeah i don't buy it it's at that point now where i don't actually believe it's real i think he's playing it up i don't think that's actually how he talks to his his friends and family i i don't i don't believe it i it honestly it shocked me the first time i ever heard him talk like when he first became the florida state coach i was like oh i know this guy was like an offensive guru i had i had no idea he was like he was this country yeah his name is jimbo but, uh, which I his think name is jimbo i think it fits for sure <laughs> i don't know it just it's a little much sometimes um but yeah, right. i thought the yep. mississippi state over missouri i think like that was one of the more surprising um one of the more surprising outcomes this this uh, this week, I thought. I thought that's a bad end for Missouri. Like that's a solid season. No, like, I think it's a great year. Five and five. Four. They had a great six year. and four. Would have felt a lot more positive, especially with how Mississippi this is year State one for Eli. He had Not to a pencil that one there. in. Of course, but when you go up against two and seven, old, uh, Mississippi State last week of the season, you had to think you're going to get the six and four uh, finish. But obviously, doesn't so not. Real consequences there, five and five, six and four, but still a solid season for Eli Trinkwitz for sure. Yeah. All right. Matt Green, do you have uh, anything else you would like to add before you put a bow on the college football regular season? Well, uh, I'm a big Christmas guy, so well, uh, we both know that's I, not. I, I hope you. Uh, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas uh, with your family. And uh, you know any any friends or, or significant others you're uh, you're spending that time with? I don't know if you're I don't know if you're at that level yet. I don't know. I I don't wanna don't well, know what your plans are. Uh, I'll be back in Atlanta um and next week uh, or I guess wait what is today Monday so this week Thursday I will be back for a couple of days. Um, nice. So I'll see my immediate family um then. But um yeah uh some other plans um. 
but uh yeah you know fun stuff without a doubt man um yeah so- uh, what'd you get zeus and this is how we'll wrap up here um he's gotten a uh i didn't actually get it for him but he's gotten some kind of a bark box i don't know that uh have all kinds of different goodies in it i know tori ordered that for him so uh it's a variety of treats and toys and mm. like that and i think it i don't, I don't want to like say where we got it i don't know if you, that, that company's probably not a sponsor or anything you mm. know so i'm not going to give him that that advertising but but yeah, he's got he's got enough toys. So uh, I, I told her try to keep it a little low key because he's got he's he's definitely a prince, that's for sure. Okay. Well, what do you make of year one of the full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast, Matt Green? I thought it was excellent, man. You know, we just uh, we'll just start this thing right when the season started. We really, uh, really got a fan base uh, developed, and we just keep it going. All right. So are you back locked in for next year, sir? No, I'm locked and loaded, man. All right. Well, we'll figure out how we're going to do the bowl. Pick them. Like, there was a bowl game hey, today. And- I'm a Georgia fan, man. I don't think you know how much I'm all about next year. All right. That's the next <laughs> year is our best year, all, always. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. For I did that see guy- the bowl game, though. That's, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I should be more on top of it, but I was not ready for uh, bowl games before the uh, Heisman was announced. Yeah, it, 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 2020 is just a mess. Just a mess. Um, for that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt Green, for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all I've got, sir. Thank you for a great season. Uh, enjoy the time with your family this holiday season, and we will reconvene very soon. Yes, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. The wait is finally over. Notfest Roadshow is back. October 13th, Jiffy Lube Live. Featuring Slipknot. With Kill Switch Engage, Fever 333, and Code Orange. Tickets on sale now at LiveNation.com. Part of the Metris Warehouse Concert Series.